Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We are live. This is Pitch Deck Asia, broadcasting to all of Asia and beyond, sharing with you some of the most interesting, exciting, and out there startups in the amazing Asian startup and Pacific startup now. All of the members from Asia, we'll count Australia in that as well, the Asia Pacific room. Let's not get political. Um, today, we've got a special guest coming from Australia. So, Hans Chang from Fab9. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. You know, um, we were just chatting off air about your plans as well. So, we're going to dive into that, learn a little bit about Fab9, learn a bit about your dream factory, learn a bit also about the whole, you know, the, this whole conversation about education and skills people need to adapt. I mean, this is a conversation people are having now. And I think the, the crisis, if we can call it that, has expedited this conversation. You know, what kind of skills do we need to adapt? So I'm looking forward to that. A um, little bit of context as well. You didn't know this, so I'm going to ambush you with this information. Today was the day, talking about making stuff, today was the day that uh, Levi Strauss was granted the patent, the patent for the rivet pocket jeans. I know a lot, of, a lot of, there you go, that is the thing that has lasted 120, 150 years. And gold rushes may come and go, but it's the tools, the people that make the railroads, the shovels, and the jeans that survive. So Hans, I believe I can put you in that category as well, that tooling is up, whether mentally or having the physical tools to adapt to the new environment of what's needed. So shall we begin? And before we jump in as well and talk about what Hans is bringing to the table, hello to everybody here who has joined us live on the show. If you're watching on YouTube, um, please put in the comments your thoughts and any kind of feedback as well. If you know Hans as well, say hi. If you're joining us here live now on Zoom, then please say hello. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're listening on Archive, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, please subscribe, follow Pitch Deck Asia, and also go and check out Hans Chang and some of his projects as well. So, top of the hour. Hans, welcome. Thanks for joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Um, before we get into the business aspect of what you do, let's jump in. Let's talk about, I'm going to pull up slide 11 from your pitch deck. Let's get straight to the point. Let's talk about the Dream Factory. So, you know, that really had me excited when I saw that page on your pitch deck. It said everything, just the title itself. And for those Bear in mind that aren't seeing this. Please describe what we're looking at. Yeah, so the Dream Factory um, is actually has a great story. Um, it was built uh, over a hundred years ago. It was uh, as a rubber factory. Um, it was definitely a, a manufacturing site, and most recently, it was the uh, headquarter of Lonely Planet uh, from, the, right. from the nineties until um, around two thousand and sixteen, and then uh, the ownership changed. Um, so Lonely Planet, as you know, were, um, didn't transition into digital um, fast enough. Um, and you can say this could been disrupted by, by Google or a um, bunch of TripAdvisor-like websites for mm. travel. Um, so the building has been transformed into more of a, um, you can call it innovation hub uh, with a co-working space on level two. And then we, we operate a maker space on the ground floor. So what we're seeing here at the top level, 
this is part of the dream. Is this the whole building here? You've got yeah. co-working space level two. Okay. So it's got a history here. Yes. And now you have taken over this space. On the ground floor, yeah. Yeah. Well, what part of... Uh, I'm not familiar with the, the area of Melbourne that you're in, so maybe you can describe what's the sort of local area. Is it an industrial area? Is it yes. a, a revival so, area? Um, we are just across the river from Mary Bernang River. Um, and, and as you can see, it's a, it's a lovely um, brick building. Um, yeah. For people who haven't been to Melbourne, I would just describe where the kind of the Brooklyn um, area. Mm. So that's, that's a more of a creative, artistic area. Yes, that's correct. I imagine there's a, real, there's a real diversity of different businesses and yes. ideas. And you've not, got the engineers and you've got the creatives coming in one space, right? Correct. And like Brooklyn... Um, Footscray or the west of Melbourne has more of a industrial background, you know, working class people. Um, they were, mm. um, Toyota used to manufacture cars um, in the west. Um, and mm. I think um, the manufacturing industry has been on a decline over the last 30 years um, in Australia. Um, and, the, you know, the, the concept of makerspace is to you know, basically make technology such as 3D printing, laser cutting, more advanced technology available to anybody to experiment mm. and make. So in the hopes that, you know, we can spur innovation um, for for people making physical products. Um, so I think mm. that's kind of the original vision. Yeah. You had the vision. When did the vision start and Take us back to the moment where you had the conversation with somebody else. Who was that conversation with? Who pitched the idea of the Dream Factory? And, you know, what was the genesis of that idea? How did it come about? Why did you decide? Because it's a risk, obviously, you know, to build this space, to make it reality. Yeah, so when I was working in um, San Francisco Bay Area, um, in South Bay, or people know it as Silicon Valley, um, I was very intrigued by this maker movement. And this this was back in 2011 to 2015. And I was a member at a local makerspace called Tech Shop. Um, some people may be familiar. Um, and I really enjoyed the community. I really enjoyed being part of a wider community. So... Um, in the Bay Area, there are many people who are extremely creative, um, also, you know, have, have an entrepreneurial spirit. And I wanted to – I actually enjoyed it so much, and I was quite naive at the time. I thought I could start my own uh, and was looking all over the world to see uh, – This is whilst you're in the Bay Area. Yes. So could... this is back in 2014, 2015. Um, but that naivety is sometimes a good thing, right? You know, that <laughs> Absolutely, I think. Sometimes people tell you you can't do something. <laughs> but the naivety, the Steve Jobs style naivety really, isn't it? That yeah. why not? Why can't I do this? Yeah, I, I think as a first-time founder, you have to have that kind of um, initial passion and mm. not knowing enough. You didn't understand, I didn't understand how difficult it would be uh, to get on this journey, right? Um and I was looking all over the world. I evaluated places in Asia, in Europe, um, and in Australasia. I wanted to come back to uh, Australia, New Zealand. So 
Melbourne yeah. seems to be the right place, and because of there's many makers um, in Melbourne, in Victoria, uh, people who work with their hands. Essentially, we have a quite a kind of broad definition of a maker. Essentially, um, say for example,、mm. if you cook right with your hands, then you're a maker. What way? There's other people in the community who have more of a technology slant to this definition. You know, three D printing and maybe coding.、Uh, I think anybody who who uses hands to make things, I think,、uh, can be called maker. Yeah. So you're an electronic engineer by academic. Yeah. Training, right. That was your background. So why 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 is it of benefit to you to be standing next to somebody who's cooking vegetables or to be over there with somebody who's A maker of, let's say, audio equipment, or you know, a manufacturing wood, or whatever it may be. Why do you need to be around those people, and what's the benefit at that level? Because often people think that you should be around people with the same kind of skills as you. Right. So this kind of goes back to some of the early days of、um, of the Silicon Valley story.、Um, people may have heard of the HP garage, or the famous. Uh, Steve Jobs story where he started in his own garage, and、uh, you know the homebrew,、um, I think it's called Homebrew Computer Club, right? In, in That's right.、Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people think companies must be like born out of this kind of amazing big band, and there's com- big company, and it's not like that, right? It usually starts with people who's tinkering with technology, usually、mm-hmm. people who have a lot of passion,、uh, started starting out as hobbyists. And they surround themselves with very various different type of people.、Um, so, I think there's a kind of a sense of creative energy you ha- you have by interacting with people who don't have the same background as you.、Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of community of people who who are supportive. And contributed ideas. Again, I think it's not just about technology. As, as, if you think about all those successful hardware product companies, they usually have some type of design, right? So industrial design,、um, it has to look beautiful. It cannot just be functional anymore. Those those were the days in the PC era, right? In the nineties. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>、um, so I think the bar is a lot higher.、Uh, it not only have to function, it also has to be. Now,、uh, fit for purpose it has to look good.、Um, it has to interact with you in a way that enhances your user experience. So, I think we're gonna have to to come back to more fundamentals around, you know, learning and creating and、mm. using the process as a way to inform you in terms of the next iteration. Yeah, there is a lot of precedent, isn't there? And When I know you're a fan of people like Clayton Christensen as well, and so we'll come back to some of that, you know, input into the whole idea about innovation and the culture of innovation, and how that sort of manifests as a space as well. If you were to go back to, let's say, for example, Kodak, and it's an often used case study, isn't it? That Kodak actually invented effectively digital cameras in 1974. When one of their young engineers walked into the management office with this camera,、yeah. which was the size of the old—if you remember the old TV sets, which had the backs <laughs> on them, these things that、yeah. you know were weighing fifty, sixty kilos—and he walked in with his camera and he said, "I've invented this thing," and it obviously ran on tape at the time, but it could reload a tape to a screen in like hundred by hundred pixels. And then management said to him, "You know, that's cute, Steve, but don't tell anybody about it." 
<laughs> and the, the moral of the story really is, is that Kodak could have been in the mobile business like Apple today, but because it had that lack of diversity of opinion in the sense that everybody there was focused on selling photographic paper, they didn't have people who came in and said, right, I've got no interest in selling photographic paper. I'm interested in what is important for this customer or this design. But they had that monoculture and that it had only people who knew one product and one function. That that became so brittle as a model that when the market changed, they were just completely wiped out. So yeah. there's this real need, isn't it, for creating a culture where you have somebody who works with you, you know, again, going back to the chef or going back to the, you know, the woodworker or somebody building robotics, that it may not feel functional working with them because you're not all kind of having the same opinion and getting stuff done together. But they may challenge you because they may say, actually, I don't see it like that. That's not how it works when you're cutting vegetables or you're 3D printing, right? So how does it work with yourself? I mean, tell us about some of the stories with your dream factory. You know, what did you make in there yourself? And, you know, where did you have those kind of aha moments where you thought, I never seen it like that before that just sort of really in a way challenges my 20 plus years of experience in electronic engineering as well yeah um so i see a lot of interactions amongst the members um before covid19 hit we we were operating as a membership-based model um and this is a good story. Um, again, I'm using examples of maybe not so technical. Um, so there's, I have a member, she makes um, baby bow ties for little girls. And she used to, and she just started organically. And it's one of those entrepreneur who accidentally become entrepreneur because I think she has some uh, big following on uh, Instagram. And then people started asking her and then she started a subscription service of baby bow ties. And it's become actually quite a, not only viable, it's actually quite a profitable business because um, she essentially doesn't have to acquire new customers. It's kind of, it just grows organically. And she comes to our makerspace and and she used to cut those baby bolt, the fabric by hand, like scissors. Um, and then we helped her to kind of come up with a new way to cut a fabric on our CNC. So CNC stands for computer numer- numeric control. So you can imagine a, a drag knife uh, cutting the pattern of the fabric, right? So um, our, our technician, our staff were working with her. And instead of cutting by hand one at a time, she could actually lay a few layers of fabric and get a machine, you know, cut hundreds in a, mm. in a, in a matter of a few hours. So, um, so she was able to outsource parts of the manufacturing. She still does as a hand finish, right? So the sewing part is still hand finish, but she's able to outsource some of the manufacturing process to the machine, right? To gain productivity or scale. So that's a great story because um, a lot of people who don't necessarily uh, think about entrepreneurship in the sense of like anybody can do it. They, they they aspire to the big companies like the, the mm-hmm. Google and the Apple and, and typically you know technology, but it doesn't have to be. I think if you solve a real um, problem and you have kind of this emotional connection with your customers, 
and you ex- you create this experience, right? So the baby bow tie is actually not about the product, but it's a monthly subscription. So it's about the mom having a bonding time with her little girls. Mm. And you actually see the moms wearing the ties. I mean, baby bow, not the tie, you know, bow ties herself, right? So it's really clever because it creates an emotional attachment to the brand. And I mm. think mm. Australia and New Zealand, uh, I'm, a, I'm a New Zealander, <laughs> have many people who can create businesses given the opportunity and some coaching, right? Because I think entrepreneurship is often misunderstood, uh, in in this part of yeah. the world, many people are just more risk averse, or they just say, "Oh, it's not for me." Or well, they don't understand what entrepreneurship is. Like like you say, they they look at, for example, the, you know the the billion dollar unicorn companies and assume that that's an entrepreneurship. Yet, what you're talking about, and especially as a skill moving forward, the next generation, the next twenty years, entrepreneurship really is a skill rather than a career choice isn't it it's almost like it's about taking risk and creativity and making decisions isn't it and it's not the, the accident i like the fact you use this word accidental entrepreneur because there's almost a generation of people that if you were to go back let's say to our parents generation and you were making those bow ties you would have done it in the back of your house, the hobbyist, and it may have been something. She may have sold like 20, 30, and she may have had her parties where she invited all her friends around, you know, like the you know, the Avon-style parties and sold to her friends. However, that wouldn't have become a business. So there's a lot of people who didn't understand that they had this way to grow and to service a bigger market because A, Firstly, entrepreneurship was this exclusive group of people, these sort of tech startups, and, you know, they had to become a billion-dollar company. And B, you know, they didn't have the tools and the access to the markets as well. And this is really important because that second part is often these communities that people like yourself, Hans, are building, right? And they're in a way not, what's the word, intimidating. You know, it's not like I have to go to this startup accelerator and I pitch an idea and yet, I think for a lot of makers, they not really of that kind of mindset. They just make stuff and they enjoy it and they love it. And if I can make this for a million people, that's fantastic, right? That's not why they're getting into the game to build a billion-dollar company. That's correct. And I think also there's not enough education around product entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of content around, say, um, building a website, building an app, right? There's not no code it's quite easy now to do kind of your MVP, uh, a website within a few mm. weeks or a few days. Um, it's not the case for a physical product um, entrepreneurship. And I think mm. one thing you touched on is really the infrastructure in terms of e-commerce, in terms of promotion on social media, in terms of um, global logistics. There are actually companies who have already built this amazing supply chain infrastructure so you can get your product from melbourne to almost anywhere in the world um, using some of those either third-party fulfillment or by you know fulfilled by amazon so i think a lot of people are not aware of those capabilities again massive global platforms and 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 plugging into that you know kind of global global commerce right Uh, i think many people can do really well if, if they can craft a niche um, 
And I think that's what we, we, we're here to help, um, to kind of promote entrepreneurship in a way that make it more accessible and more um, kind of dismissify a lot of, some of those things. So, and, Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. give people kind of this role model says, hey, you know, if they can do this, you can do this as well. And I think the other thing about the skill set, I think, I think it's more it's around a mindset. Because mm. if you think about the future of work, um, many people are now freelancing, you know, working with different projects. They're now more project based, right? Or geek economy. You you kind of have to think about how you add value to the ecosystem, and it's not just you, right? So, for example. If you do graphic design and you 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 list yourself up as a graphic designer on one of those you know you know work for hire websites, you're competing yep. with the world, right? You're competing with somebody in Africa, Middle East, North America. So, and that's if you and if you look at the education system today, they they essentially give you some theory about about skill development in terms of the technical skills, but they don't teach you how do you market yourself? How mm. do you do contract negotiation? How do you do client management? A lot of those kind of uh, practical experiential learning that's not provided in the current education system. Um, and I think the world has changed and there needs to be more communities or formal, what I would call it informal learning opportunities for people to gain those skills and have been surrounded by people who share um, who share knowledge freely. So, um, mm. you know, leveraging what's already been done, um, you know, this kind of open source community uh, in both technology and uh, also kind of business uh, acumen. You know, not a lot of people are, are very open um, about coaching people and making content available so anybody can can access this. I think knowledge right now is free. Yeah. Right? If you can you think I cannot think of anything that you cannot learn on YouTube from language yeah. to cooking. Why would you pay to go to university in many aspects? Yeah, now? that's just, this question, right? Especially like in the current situation with lockdown. Right. Where they're still charging fees. Yeah, people are yeah. not happy because they operate on a legacy business model. They still yeah. have this attachment to that kind of beautiful campus. You know, yeah, mo- yeah. Model, every university in Australia is modeled after Cambridge, you know. Exactly. Uh, they, they well, still, let's, bring up this, yeah. let's bring up this quote because there's a really interesting quote that you have in the pitch deck, which is on slide three, which is a Clayton Christensen quote because this really sort of frames what we're talking about here. So if we can bring that up. Um, yeah, this is a Clayton Christensen quote, obviously Christensen, famous for the innovator's dilemma. I'll just read it out here. He says, the new market disruption is an innovation that enables a large popula- larger population of people who previously lacked money or skill. Fast forward, targeting non-consumers who formerly could not afford or access it. And in many ways, what we're talking about is giving people the key skills here to make this possible. So what you've done in building what you're building, for example, with the Dream Factory, and we'll talk about education as well um, towards the end of this podcast, is give people the necessary skills to access often 
supply chains, um, capital, resources, and knowledge they formerly couldn't have access to. And if you think about it, you mentioned as well, like for product entrepreneurs now, they exist and they compete in a very competitive market, a global market for sure. But yet the real upside of that is, is that if you can make it, you have Amazon FBA, for example, you have Amazon's distribution channel and drop shipping. You, you don't have to build a warehouse. You don't have to manage massive inventory. You don't have to worry about getting it in Woolworths or Walmart. You don't need to do that anymore. And then on the other side, you have Instagram, like you mentioned, the lady who's you know manufacturing the bow ties. The you know those Instagram businesses, they can easily find a following, a very niche following as well on Instagram. So they don't need to get on TV. They don't need to get on radio. So if you were to marry up on the one side Amazon, on the other side Instagram, the key now is this middle part, which is, okay, now I need almost like the emotional support of this community of people. Like say, Hans, how did you, tell me how you sold those you know, those uh, wooden watches that you manufactured in Taiwan, right? Or tell me how you, you, you manufactured that and how did you get it to the, you know, the dropshipping center as well? So it seems now, if I'm a product entrepreneur, you know, the, all the skills I need, all the supply chains I need, all the markets I need are there. All I need now is the support. Now, bring that back to education. You talk about these functional skills that we learn. It's almost like I don't need to go to university to learn this stuff now. So I imagine what you're doing and kind of the conversations you have must challenge a lot of people to think about things like skills and education. How is that for you? What kind of conversations do you have around this? So I, I often, when I talk to universities um, about, say, entrepreneurship or doing programs, I often hear that they want to do their own thing, right? So university A, will only allow current students or alumni of that university to join their program and university B will try to compete and do the same thing. Um, so university, again, still operates in, in this kind of exclusive club um, for, mm. that hasn't changed in the last few hundred years. Um, but if you look at the world today in business, it's, it's very much cross-border collaboration. Um, many teams are now born uh, remote working as a norm, right? So this started obviously maybe first in Silicon Valley with some uh, startups that have, you know, employees, software engineers all over the world. And you hear about those kind of stories. And and now it's kind of people are waking up to this new reality that yeah. you might have to do that for your next job. And some, comp uh, some companies are now saying you can work remotely forever, right? Well, um, Twitter is an example, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that movement is not going to slow because companies look at their, you know, you know their, their balance sheets. Like, Why am I owning properties anymore? Like I'm not a real estate yeah. company. Um, why should I have those huge campuses? And I used to work in one of those campuses, uh, and it's kind of funny. Um, you you physically have to up, you know, go from one building to the next, and is this really that much value where you, you know, you don't even meet some of your colleagues anyway. Mm. And, you know, if, again, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no um, value in terms of physical um, in-person interaction. I think 
you know, if you look at the communication, verbal, nonverbal, facial expression, my hand gestures, all that adds to the experience, right? I think some things have to fundamentally change in around skill development. Um, mm. and, and, and there's a camp, well, a kind of business category now called the last mile training providers, right? So if you think about General mm. Assembly, for example, that's one of the companies going to emerge out of this trend is they say, okay, you don't have to go to a university do a four-year degree in computer science. If you just want to be a web de- developer, you can come to our bootcamp, three months, intense. And then we give you some real practical training. And if you look at the actual curriculum time and practice time, it's actually equivalent to the whole year of semester. Well, three, two, mm. two, three, two semesters of work because the way university works is quite inefficient, right? Some university students, yeah, they 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 only have twenty six weeks of um, lectures, twenty six (laughs) weeks, and most of the time that real estate, the physical building is not being used, and doesn't make sense, right? Just from utilization point of view, it seems to be extremely inefficient. And if you think about the experience that people have, um. Sure, you can go there to find yourself. You know, there's also the social aspects of having peers and, you know, social, you know, student clubs. And there's a lot of things going on uh, for a young person. But I think you're already saying that, for example, Stanford is talking about a different type of program where you don't have to finish in one go. Maybe you can finish mm. in six, you know, I don't know how many years, but it's more than four years. Um, and then have internships and work experiences integrated into their um degree mm-hmm. um and if you look at for example we, you've had yeah. some of these guys i just want to bring up um just for the audience to have a, see some of the photos as well you've had some of these guys over at your factory as well maybe we can bring up the instagram feed maybe have a look at some of those so i was looking at you, you have these courses obviously i mean the great thing about these spaces the dream factories you can get people in and if we can just the one that caught my eye hans and maybe you can show me this is about that one there right on the screen not this one no, not this one. Sorry. There you go. So let's bring this one up here. This was an audio. I think just bring this one up now. Let's get this photo up. So this is, a, if we can just scroll up the description so we can have a look and maybe you can talk us through. Because it was audio and it was music. Obviously, it naturally caught my eye. A workshop as well. I mean, even to giving it in these very, I know you talk about last mile, it's very specific skills that we can learn. What's the yeah, story so- here? So, so Rob, he he's like a um, electronics enthusiast, um, or uh, yeah, he's actually more than that. He's just you know an engineer. Um, he run. Uh, we work with people like Rob, as you know, we call it third party instructors. So they come, they bring their own curriculum. Oftentimes, they bring their own community, and he's running like an electronics workshop for building like a um, audio synthesizer. Uh, so for mm. for people who have never seen electronics in their life. This is actually quite fun, right? Compared to my experience when I was in undergrad learning electronics from textbooks, you know, like, come on. Yeah, from diagrams. <laughs> I remember those diagrams. Yeah. And I just no not, wonder that people, not many people got into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I look at the way that's being taught. And even, even so when I was in undergrad, uh, the whole school of engineering only has about 15, one five. 15% of females, girls, right? Yeah. And you say, okay, what's the problem? Like, why are no girls 
being drawn into engineering. And I think a lot of it has to be the way it's being taught, right? So imagine if you teach electronics like with audio, like music, with fashion, and it's a little bit more relatable rather than just from a textbook. I think more、mm. people will enjoy it. And you know, yeah, it doesn't have demystifying to be this, it as well. Yeah, demystifying a little bit. Um, and I think there has to be a better way of introducing new concepts to people. That's really kind of hands-on, right? So, project-based、yeah. learning. Well, let's put it into the、yeah. context of the pandemic as well. Because if we go back to the Instagram feed and pulling out some of your、um, stories here as well, a good example. Obviously, now we've had many supply chain issues with face masks, with shields, and medical equipment. And what tends to happen is people look to the Big suppliers, the three M's, to solve this. However, you know there are plenty of examples, and some of them coming from your community of people who have done this in a very sort of product engineer or product entrepreneur, I should say,、um, could be a small solution, could be a small idea that just scales. The accidental entrepreneur as well. Tell us the story of this one here, and if we can scroll up, have a look at the description. Maybe we can get some context. What happened here, Hans? This is, and bear in mind, some people can't see this image, so please. Describe during the、um, well, it's still ongoing. Actually, the pandemic,、um, the coronavirus pandemic. What happened was the、um, the global supply chain of medical device,、uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, and in some cases, the ventilators、um, are in short supply. So makers around the world have responded really quickly, almost、um, simultaneously. Like some are coordinated, some are not. And in this case, you basically、um, someone designed those valve at the top, so you see those two valve attached、mm. to a snorkeling mask. So this this、oh, this, this, pa- this particular equipment is actually meant to be designed for recreational purposes. So some people don't like to well snorkel. You know, imagine you know snorkeling, right? Some people are not like comfortable inhaling through their mouth. So、mm. this is a French company that have this snorkeling mask. Essentially, you can breathe through your nose. So、yeah. this has been repurposed to be a you know effective uh, uh, device for vent、uh, that that will basically get a patient to be breathing again.、Uh, it's like a, a attachment to as a, to the ventilator.、Mm. And three D printed. So the valve at the top are three D printed. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? This is really agile in practice, where you have. I see often companies, and I suppose even engineers struggle with this as well. Is the the payoff between perfect and optimal, in the sense that you have what would be a perfect solution, which would be a mask manufactured from scratch, and yet optimal is almost like the classic Apollo thirteen story, where they're trying to. Find a way to reduce the carbon dioxide levels in the the spacecraft, and they're you know getting ventilator tubes and vacuum cleaner you know equipment and trying to cobble together a solution, but it works as well. How how much of that is really helping people understand that that is actually a bona fide and good solution? Because I know we tend to think we look for the perfect solution. How much do you have to sort of unlearn that? Yeah, I think this is. I think in a crisis,、um, people say the necessity is mother of inventions, right? So sometimes when you have to make things happen,、uh, people、mm. people are actually quite creative, right?、Um, if if you throw away all the rules, 
and you said, "No, I just I need to save this patient's life." And this is given what I, you know, given what I have. How do I make it work? Um, and I think makers have this again. I don't think it's the skill that's different. It's really the mindset. Makers are not necessarily big manufacturing companies are able to hack things and make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, fit for purpose. Um, to save lives, so makers makers around the world have this kind of shared vision and common purpose, and that's quite phenomenal. Because we actually launched a PPE face shield. So essentially, a face shield is not a face mask; it's basically a piece of plastic in front of your face. Um, we launched that product within a week. A week? Yeah. When you say launch, you mean what? Getting it, shipping it, um, designing, and having prototypes and getting ready to ship. Yep, within a week. And that, was, that was phenomenal. Um, and the reason we could do that is because makerspaces around the world are sharing files, open source. Right, open, right, right. And we were, was, yeah. How, how long would that be in the real world? I mean, Months. when I say the real world, I mean corporate. Yeah. yeah so, so for example, for example, we have similar, there are similar parallel efforts by large corporations, um, automotive uh, companies in Victoria. Yeah. And we actually yeah. pay those companies. And those companies are Fortune 50 companies. And they have way more resources, um, dedicated engineers. And yet our PPE, so again, PPE facial has no intellectual property. It's just, it's really simple. There's many ways you mm. can make it. Um, but we launched this product quicker and we got into the hands of the, in the hospital and the aged care and community service workers quicker than those big companies because we know that we can do things fast. So, hmm. um, is it just also, a case of doing it faster? Is it really just speed? I mean, there, there, it's a lot more than speed, isn't it? Because they they have a hundred times the resources that you have. But and, then those work, those engineers, they they see that as a job, right? Whereas we see that as a, as a mission. Yeah, is it that you guys are putting in more hours, or are you just thinking about the problem differently? The fact that it's a mission, does that change the way you think about the problem? This is a good question. I think it's not the so without going into all the technical details, large companies are good at making things their processes are good at many making things that are in high volume. So when you want to make many, many of the same parts, you have many kind of engineering reviews and gates and you do things in kind of a waterfall right whereas we were doing things in asia we quickly prototyped and i was in the hospital showing it to uh, doctors and nurses in icu really really quickly within a few days hmm. because we we really understand that we had to get end user feedback and the end user from the doctors um they'll say well your face visor wasn't long enough it didn't cover my side um and we were able to iterate really quickly so i think large corporations they are not as used to kind of this agile product development cycles. Hmm. Again, there's a reason for that because for them, if they might want to launch a product into the market, usually they operate with, I don't know, a few years lead time in terms of developing vehicle, right? And this is not a vehicle. This is something they can do in a matter of days. So I think, it's, again, this mindset. It's not because yeah, of that. Yeah. A lot of it I see as well, Hans, a lot is ownership, isn't it, of the project? Like if if you had, I mean, the classic situation in a corporate, I know it's changing now and they're becoming more agile, is the the classic waterfall value chain where the engineer creates the 
face mask and then you know the marketing team work on it and then you know the the sales channels distribute it etc and yet really the problem is with that is that you really this this handoff extenuates the whole pro process by multiple factors and yet if it's the same person who is designing it and then taking it to the doctor and hearing the feedback they then go okay i've got to take that back it's almost edison style taking that back to the labs and saying right improve it you know iterating bring it back iterating bring it back and it, it's a mindset in the sense that if you own it you want to get feedback and it's the same as for developers writing code or it is for somebody making a face mask isn't it is that not being afraid of getting feedback because we can easily once we have resources distance ourselves from the bad news if you like and yet really Real, real development happens happen when you face up to the problems and own them and invite them, right? And I, I work in large corporations before, and so I know this um, from my own experience is that um, unless the person driving a project is really passionate um, and it's coming kind of from the leadership of the company, and imagine okay, in a large corporation, this kind of project wouldn't be driven by the CEO. It would just be driven by one of the manager, middle, middle, middle management, right? So middle management is like, okay, is this is a good idea. Am I stepping out of bound? They're going to worry about, mm. you know, repercussions if it failed. It's going to look bad. Um, and this is kind of goes back to innovations dilemma. A lot of times those large corporations, because there's so much writing on their brand, they're unable to take risks, and everything, like for example, a press release may have to be approved by the legal team in the over, overseas headquarters. Um, that's why I can't name, name names here because uh, there's no yeah. formal agreement. We all know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we all know. And, we all understand. And, 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 and I think that's that slow things down, right? Because, yeah. again, in, in, some, in, some, in some areas, I think this is where small companies or startups can win is really the speed, right? That's the only competitive advantage. Yeah. We, 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 we don't have that many people. Um, we work with, with our tech, the people who's manufacturing in, in the same team. So I think if you want to think about the barrier, I would say um, to, put, again, put it in a more technical category would be design for manufacturing, DFM, right? Design for manufacturing is kind of a lost art in the West, because traditionally, if you see all the factories are in China, Southeast Asia, a lot of engineers with design products don't actually see how things are made. Yeah. So I had this problem when I, when I was at SanDisk. I remember this. We had some issues in, in the factory in, in uh, uh, Shanghai, right? Factory in Shanghai and headquarters in Melpitas, California. And they were saying, oh, we have this PCB warping. But I was like, well, what do you mean? I've never seen it. Like, what do you mean? Like, what? it's really hard to comprehend the, prob the, the problem statement, right? So essentially, you know, you, you imagine a piece of substrate, which is like the, the, the side, if it's not, if the heat is not distributed properly, it will cause, mm. mechanical, cause mechanical stress. But again, if you have the engineers who's never been to the factory in China, have seen those kind of problem statements, how do you expect them to design products that are meant to be perfect? There's no perfect product. So that this connection between design and manufacturing um, is actually causing a lot of problems. Yeah. And so much of that is really, it comes down to not being in the same place, right? 
at the end of the day for a lot of these or even you know even if it was done virtually having the same communications base right there's a quote that you mentioned in your pitch deck and i want to bring it up so kevin ashton obviously associated with mit he said that begin beginning is hard continuing is harder creation is a long journey where most turns are wrong and most ends are dead and obviously a lot of what we talked about in the development process really encapsulates that i want to know hans in the context of your journey how that has happened because you have made more mistakes than anybody else which is really a mark a moniker of success i believe we've all made a lot of mistakes tell us about the wrong turns and the dead ends in in particular with fab nine and your sort of you know your dream factory journey is that i'm really interested in what kind of assumptions did you make at the beginning that turned out not to be true what did you learn those kind of pivots or things which you know now that you didn't know when you started out yeah good question great question um so many mistakes i've made um and i'll probably highlight a few things um initially i thought my customers were going to be a bunch of startup founders and want to, you know, be the next Elon Musk and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> coming to me and, you know, make things. And, and what I realized as, is, uh, I, so basically it, I thought it was going to be more people coming to the makerspace for commercial reasons, but I think you touched on this mm-hmm. already, but what happens is a lot of people come as hobbyists. They have no real aspiration to build companies. They just enjoy, you know, working, or they enjoy making the. There's a keyboard. There's many kind of, you know, passion projects that they have in their mind, but they don't necessarily want to quit their day job um, to to come and pursue that full time. So, I initially didn't understand this. I thought if I were to build for myself, <laughs> and I think just not, but because we build a physical brick and mortar space, right? It's kind of hard. It's not like software you can easily mm. test um a product like when i was explaining to to most people even today on the say on the street of melbourne a makerspace most of the time i have to explain what it is people don't quite get it right we're, we're quite new um so i've had, had a, lot, you know, a lot of challenges communicating what what is a makerspace number one how does that work and number two what is a value proposition um and it's not so simple. If I if I say you know I'm building a gym, a health club, most people will get it, right? But imagine 30 years ago, you don't say, well, why should I go to? Why should I pay to exercise? I can just go to the park, right? Um, but then there's the you know the some personalities in bodybuilding, like you know in Hollywood and LA, kind of popularize some of those um, you know the life the, the lifestyle. So what essentially they're selling is not the equipment, it's the lifestyle. So I didn't quite understand this from a marketing point of view. Mm. And so now, how do you, like if you were to advise yourself starting out at the beginning of your journey with the space and Fab9 and the factory, knowing what you know now, how would you advise the younger hands on that journey? <laughs> so like, I'm going to save you a lot of time here building up that learning curve. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is the one lesson. <laughs> I don't know if you have done it again because we almost ran out of money several times. Um, yeah. And even now, dream, you know, coronavirus, you know, funding is, is, a, is a real challenge. And again, this is not it's just me. It's universal. It doesn't matter if you're doing yeah, software, yeah, hardware. 
maybe there are a few growth sectors like Zoom, right? Um, and I think telemedicine, healthcare, um, also I think education will have to change. I yeah. think if I were to give myself an advice is, you know, um, I would say really look after the mental health of the, you know, founder mental health is a mm. real problem. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. It's really tough. tough. And, and, and be surrounded by um, your kind of support network and can be your mm. friends, family, but then just you have to be mindful that you're also putting them through a lot of stress. I didn't understand this before. I was... I can tell you that even today, my my father, my dad doesn't quite understand why I want to quit Sandisk or a, you know a corporate America, high paying, highly prestigious brand. Well, yeah. career put that throw that away and then start my own, own thing in something that's not really proven. Um, so I, I just I think this could be a generational thing. Maybe he spent his whole career. In, Literally, in Absolutely. one industry, he only switched from the supplier to the buyer. Does that make sense? He went from selling stuff to buying stuff as a procurement. That's why he did. Oh, well, was safe. he Taiwanese as well? Yeah. So, so Sandisk, working for an electronics manufacturer, for example, would have been, you know, a, a, a real career move as well. Yeah. So, you know, that would have been a, a classic career path for a young Taiwanese kid, right, growing up. And then you went and started your own business. <laughs> yeah, because Taiwan, like double E, you know, electronics, that's, that's the thing, right? Like you had TSMC yeah. and all those great companies, right? Um, so you, you make a valid point. I feel now that the whole journey as well about wellness, mental health, it is tough. I mean, you know, the, the classic, uh, the, the, the phrase, quote by Mike Tyson is, you know, that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, I love that quote. And being an entrepreneur <laughs> is getting punched in the face every single day. Like, can you take it? And it's tough. And in many ways, that's why we need communities. And entrepreneurship is very much glamorized for all the reasons we've talked about before. But if you have a support network, you can make through it because almost everybody has been through this journey as an entrepreneur. There are obviously many many stories of people that we don't know about but they've all faced this challenge right and that's why it's great to be with people because they will say look you know this is exactly how i felt and you have those doubts don't you because you you know you've got to explain to your father and you've got to explain to your old colleagues like <laughs> uh, how's it going now yeah. like you've got to, you know okay we're going to have the family reunion someone's getting married and they've got to talk about what are you doing now hans and why did you leave sandisk and all this kind of thing everybody faces this and that's why we need this community as well but there's a bigger there's a bigger sort of like issue now about education and i know you're really passionate about education and we're not talking about education necessarily as schooling right and this whole conversation now about entrepreneurship, about taking risk, creativity, what kind of skills, and it's something that you're really um, in the heart of as well. You, you know, you're creating the modern schools effectively in these spaces, but also, you know, very aware that this needs to go online as well um, for it to be relevant to a bigger group of people. So can you share with us some of the plans of what's coming next? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, like with these kind of projects, there's a lot of diverse people who have an interest in what you're going to talk about now who may not be from your world, but say, hey, that is really relevant to me. So tell us about what comes next. Yeah, so 
I, I'm a big believer in kind of hands-on learning or project-based learning. So for people who, who, who don't know, um, the most people, you know, if you look at education, it hasn't really changed much in the last hundred years. It's, it used to be, you know, writing on a ch- you know, choke on a, on a blackboard and then one way lecturing, right? That's what that's called a lecturer. Yeah. Meaning your teacher we do knows- have interactive blackboards now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, okay, so the, the, the premise is the teacher knows more than the student. So the teacher passes on knowledge to the student, right? That's kind yeah. of the way it's been designed. It hasn't really changed. But now with inter- information technology, again, I'm speaking in general terms, you have Google, you have YouTube. You can just find information where you need it. You don't need to memorize it, right? So I'm a big fan of project-based learning, meaning you you start something, you have a you have a project as so four P's: so project, passion, peers, peer-to-peer learning, and then um, the last P is play. So play is inherent in human nature, and you have people now doing, for example, Lego play for professionals again this is not kids right because the being playful mean sometimes it helps you come up with new ideas again this is Absolutely. not this is, this is not me Hans Chen saying this is a lot of evidence-based research done around this um, I think for me it's more like when you're relaxed when you're enjoying the process your mind can open up to new possibilities and new ideas so what I'm planning to do next is um, based on what everything I've learned in the last few years and all the research papers I've read and all the case studies that's been done around the world um, from MIT Media Lab um, and you know a lot of, they've done really great research is to say how do we make the maker education or the maker process more accessible to anybody in the world so you don't have, they don't have to come to Fab9 physically right so it's part of the my, my bigger vision would be uh, we provide some, for example, it could be um, like video on-demand uh, lessons and then with some physical kit because I, 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 I don't see this kind – I don't want the experience to be just coding like on a laptop. But that's, that's not the point. But imagining uh, if somebody has to tinker with some electronics – and actually, this is a good way to talk about BBC Microbit has done this fantastic project in the UK. They've given a little tiny microcontroller to every single kid in the UK and say, okay, tinker with technology, learn more about computational thinking. And they didn't say become a software engineer. Okay, that's not the point. Yeah. And it's been phenomenal. And a lot of people say, okay, well, I'm not afraid of technology. I can do what the technology can do what I wanted to do. So I'm not going to become a passive consumer. And that's what the problem in the world today is we've been brainwashed billions of dollars of advertising dollars to tell us, oh, we can't, we're not good looking enough. We're too fat. We're not ugly. We're, we're not, when you make up, you know, you're too fat. You don't, you're not successful. You're not living this kind of Instagram celebrity lifestyle. You know, like you need to spend, spend, spend. And you're gonna be happy, but it's not the case, right? We know yeah. buying bigger houses, bigger cars is not gonna make you happier. But yeah. creation is something that you can feel very, you know, this kind of a sense of uh, achievement. And if you look at it, you know, how kids learn, it's very joyful. Learning should be very joyful, right? Yeah, and I it's think like a we creative, creative yeah. fight club. Yeah, and yeah. and 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 and, and I, I get a lot of kick out of. You know, seeing my vision coming to life. Yeah. 
And and I think and again, future of work is not going to just be you do one thing for thirty years. It's more likely to be project based, right? Again, project based learning, project based work. It's, I think it lends itself well to preparing people for the unknown because a lot of job titles haven't even been created. Yeah, yeah, that's real agile, isn't it? it it's that agility that work is what you do rather than a place you go. And, you know, now a lot of people are asking questions. On the one hand, you've got people like yourself who are fire starters within the community. And then you have the large corporations like Twitter saying you can work from home, Google saying you don't need a degree, Stanford saying we need to rethink how we do this. There's a lot of pieces coming together, isn't it? And they're not all coming from the same space. It's not coming from the top. It's not necessarily coming from the bottom, but many, many people converging. There isn't really a name for it yet, but I feel like if you look historically back at change, even the Reformation, which was, you know, the liberation of thought driven by the printing press, for example, you know, that small, small device that was developed initially from minting coins to printing paper and the democratization of knowledge is that, you know, what that created was this whole sort of like, you know, this, this, this momentum in change. And it didn't have a name, but lots of different events happened at the same time. And we're at this space now. I feel it's happening, isn't it? Nobody called it the Reformation back then. It was like 100 years later, historians said, it's, okay, it's we're going to put all of this in a bucket. Yeah. Exactly. Because I, the way I think about it is like this podcast – um, in the past, you and I would have to be in a studio. Yeah. We have to be in this really fancy, acoustically isolated space. And I have to probably talk to your producer, negotiate a lot of things rather than yeah. transacting on the, on the internet, right? Um, and I think if I look at the long arch of technology, it's really about empowering people. doesn't matter if it's a smartphone, laptop, or now with machine learning AI, it's about empowering people so you can be more creative. So you're not doing that kind of, you know, we used to, we all used to be farmers, right? We used to yeah. be spending most of our time producing food. And yeah. now if, if you look at some of the people doing manual labor, it's not very inspiring, right? What if those people are, yeah. uh, you know, retrained or upskilled to be creating new services and products I think it's great as a you know great progress for humanity, really, to get people to do what they love to do, which is using their creativity, um, and not just you know do this job, you know. And if you look at a lot of companies that used to design roles, it's really say, hey, do the same thing over and over again, so be repetitive, so you get some gain some efficiency. Hmm. Hmm. So that's why that's how the whole education system has been created is to. You know, put you in pigeonholes, right? That, that's yeah, kind yeah, of exactly. what has been in the last 100 years. And you create those kind of barrier to entry. For example, um, you have for in the, in the law profession, you have bar, right? In the accounting profession, you have CFA. But today, if you want to be a creator, there's no stamp, right? It's, it's up to the market, right? If, if the market wants your skills and services, and your ideas, then you 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 can you can trade, right? So when I say trade, meaning you you can, you can collaborate, you can work. There's commerce behind it. So yeah, I, I think we live in a in an extraordinary time. I think the technology is all here. 
I think what's lacking is not the technology, it's the skills. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hans, listen, you've planted a flag now, and people are going to rally round. You put yourself out there. I mean, obviously, you have the physical space, and that will be back online, obviously, when the, the crisis, the pandemic, um, starts to ease. But you also have this much bigger online space, which you're building as well. You planted the flag. People want to rally around. What kind of people do you want to hear from? Because I guess in any kind of movement, it's really about attracting diverse opinions as well, who may not be electrical engineers or may not have worked you know, in even like hand, you know, manual manufacturers, those product entrepreneurs as well. What kind of people do you want to hear from to reach out to you? I think for anyone who's interested in kind of future of work and what something you and I have discussed, the future of education, maybe not use the word education, maybe just learning. I'm, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning. I think you can be educated, but you can be school, but not educated, right? So, did I say the right way? Yeah, yeah so yeah. you can go to school, but not being educated. You still cannot be an independent thinker. Um, I would love to hear from people who are passionate about lifelong learning. That's a, again, that's a big term. That's kind of umbrella term. It can be kindergarten, K-12, higher education. Um, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm really more interested in the pedagogy, how you learn rather than what you learn. And we're going to yeah. become experts at this. Um, I think again, I'm not alone. I'm I'm, I'm reading all those different um, places where companies are popping up and trying to address address specific needs um, from preschool all the way to higher education. There's different models now, and people have choices now, right? Um, mm. So, so I think this is a great time to to. I think in general, this is a great time to become entrepreneur. Um, this because in the downturn, um, what you what I'm seeing is there's a lot, quite a, you know some layoffs and you know in different industries and there's lots of talents. So your talent pool is bigger, and people who really want to start companies now they really mean it. Yeah, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, love it. It's been a good conversation with you, Hans. I feel thank you so much. Share- a lot of similar views as well. I'm, you know, we're not alone. Absolutely. There's a lot of people out there. Best way to get hold of you, Hans? Best way to reach out? Are you good with LinkedIn? Would that be Yeah, you? LinkedIn. I'm more active on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really a Twitter user. Uh, I think some yeah. of the conversation there is quite toxic. Um, yeah. Too polarized. And there's this waste of my time. Um, LinkedIn is yeah. great. So Hans uh, ML Chen, C-H-A-N-G. You'll find me. Fab Nine. F-A-B number nine. That is Hans Chang, everybody, from Fab9. Um, really enjoyed our conversation today, and hopefully you can update us in the future as well on this journey. This journey, and like we said, there's a lot of wrong turns and dead ends, but you know, it's just staying in the game and eventually building that momentum. People will join that journey along the way as well. So I'm sure there are a lot of stories to share in the future. If you've enjoyed this conversation, a couple of things to think about taking this forward. Firstly, reach out to Hans on LinkedIn. That's Hans ML Chang. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear your thoughts and your comments as well. And secondly, if you're following us on Spotify or iTunes, Pitch Deck Asia is the place to go where we host the stories of startup entrepreneurs, people, the crazy ones even, people like Hans who have a dream, who are crazy enough, dare dare to have a dream or dare to be vulnerable, dare to put them out 
themselves out there as well in you know and you know share their vision with us as well so i've really enjoyed that conversation today my name is graham brown we're signing out thanks for joining us today thank you graham that was pitch deck asia my name is graham brown pitch deck asia is a platform to give startups in asia a voice we give them a show to help them tell their story and if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders go and check out our soundcloud channel which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash soundcloud that's pitchdeck.asia slash soundcloud head along to the channel subscribe follow us and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well we'd love to hear your feedback